Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Disclose, disclose, disclose. What makes a good conflicts of interest disclosure? What goes into a good conflicts of interest disclosure? This is something that actually comes up uh, fairly frequently when organizations are thinking about conflicts. Uh, You don't really get there unless something falls into your lap if there's been an investigation, except through the disclosure process, which is really, really important. And one of the things we'll talk about here is... uh, 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 who needs to be involved in that process, uh, what kind of scope you need to have. But before we get started, I wanted to um, talk about uh, the upcoming webinar next week, a week from today, April the 4th, 2019, from 1 p.m. to 2.15 p.m. Eastern Time, Updating Your Code of Conduct Best Practices, uh, 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 back by popular demand. Uh, I have uh, now done a Code of Conduct um, webinar, I think pretty much twice a year now for the last couple of years with, or maybe even more frequently than that, with the uh, Clear Law Institute, a great organization for those of you particularly that need to get your CLEs or CCEP credits. Um, uh, they have a lot of great uh, programs that you can either uh, attend live via web or uh, listen to later the recorded versions of uh, and it's not terribly expensive compared to a lot of these other organizations that are offering um, accre- accredited uh, courses or sessions to listen to. Um, I'm going to be talking about real practical aspects of updating your code of conduct. I know a lot of organizations are looking at their code, um, moving from uh, a code that was perhaps updated in the last five to six years uh, to what's next? What you know? What do we need to do now? We updated our code after not updating it for a decade or not having a code, and now we're um, we're thinking about what is best practice. What what differentiates a code of conduct, our code of conduct from uh, the pack? What what can we do to better implement our code? All of those things. We'll talk about some real practical aspects next Thursday, April fourth. Uh, 2019. Uh, if you need uh, to sign up for that, you can go to clearlawinstitute.com and search Eric Moorhead or updating your code of conduct or April 4, Eric Moorhead, any of those things, and it'll come up. Um, also, we'll have the, the information for registering for the event in the show notes for this podcast on compliancebeat.com. And as always, if you have questions for me, um, if you want to get the uh, discount code uh, for the Updating Your Code Best Practices, uh, you can email me directly at eric at moreheadconsulting.com. You can also get in touch with me at uh, the compliancebeat.com website. So with no further ado, let's talk about conflicts of interest disclosures. There are really uh, three or four uh, important items I think we need to talk about here. Uh, The first is... Uh, who needs to disclose? Who uh, is going to be in the net that you're casting? A lot of this depends on how you're doing this process, I think. Uh, that, at least that's the way it breaks down for a lot of the clients I work with. If you have the ability to have a disclosure tool uh, on a SharePoint site, or if you've purchased a ready-made uh, conflicts of interest disclosure tool, or if it's part of your LMS, uh, a lot of organizations, for example, 
uh, on their LMS will do their conflicts of interest disclosures along with the code of conduct certification that happens on an annual basis. Uh, these two things can be combined rather seamlessly in one sort of questionnaire, if you will, uh, at the end of annual training or annual certification. Uh, so if you have a tool, if you have an electronic platform, or you have uh, uh, the ability via a SharePoint site or, or some other um, uh, resource internally to do it electronically, then I think you're going to be more expansive just naturally. You're going to maybe do all hands and say everybody needs to uh, at least answer some threshold questions about potential conflicts uh, and, uh, and ans at least answer in the negative as to whether they have anything to disclose. Um, <clears throat> if you do not have such a tool or such a facility, then I think you're naturally going to focus more on uh, people that are more highly placed in the organization, directors, officers, uh, people who have mission critical or critical uh, aspects to their, to their job description, people uh, in the finance and treasury department, um, uh, people uh, uh, that, that uh, whose, whose function is rather critical or whose function includes uh, potentially uh, dealing with contracting, so people in procurement, um, uh, this would be particularly true if you were a, a government contractor, then, you know, you are going to have uh, probably a, a wider group of those sorts of procurement and contracting uh, uh, officers and, and employees that would need to be uh, in, that, in that loop. So I think the first exercise is to determine who is in that, uh, that circle that needs to disclose. Once you determine that, um, that if you if you don't have a process in place already, that might help you determine whether you need to have a tool or not. If you're thinking that this is going to be a relatively small group of individuals, then uh, doing it by hand, so to speak, you know, having a paper disclosure or uh, email um, exchange disclosure or something like that, where you have to manually uh, review these things is not so burdensome. If you're going to if you're going to have a much larger group, then you might want to start thinking about implementing a tool if you haven't already. Uh, the second thing that I think is really important and often overlooked uh, in these sort of disclosure activities is explaining just what the heck you expect them to disclose. What is a conflict of interest? Having a definition uh, that is understandable. Uh, so that they know what the expectations are around the disclosure activity. So you really need to talk uh, in the disclosure form, in the disclosure tool, have some discussion about what exactly a conflict of interest is, what exactly are you looking for, uh, for these individuals to report. The easy thing to do here is to mimic whatever definition you have in your code of conduct or your conflicts of interest policy or conflicts of interest training. In common definitions here, when a personal uh, relationship, personal activity or association, personal financial interest interfere with the organizational interests. It's really the oppositional situation between a personal interest and the uh, best interests of the organization. So whatever definition it is that you use, uh, just be consistent and uh, try to explain it. Try to give some examples. You probably do that already in your code or your conflicts policy. If you don't, you should. Um, maybe crib some examples from the conflicts of interest training uh, just so that it's clear to the person who is being asked to disclose what exactly it is a conflict 
could be or is. Uh, as part of the um, what is a conflict of interest, what do we want you to disclose, there should also obviously be a discussion about the fact that not everything is a conflict, but if it has the appearance of being a conflict of interest, it also can be problematic and also needs to be disclosed. So you need to make that distinction as well. Um, encouraging people to, to err on the side of inclusion when they're disclosing, uh, even if it uh, may not be a conflict or they're unsure if it's a conflict, to disclose it so that it can be reviewed. That's the important thing. That's the thing you want to get across. And, and what are you asking them to disclose? Well, you're asking them to do the what, where, when, how, and why. You're asking them to talk about and uh, disclose any potential relationships or activities that potentially could uh, pose a conflict of interest. Um, providing details around uh, business arrangements or familiar, familial uh, relationships, um, talking about uh, what, you know, activities that potentially could uh, be deemed to be in conflict with the, uh, with, with the activities of the organization. Um, so again, examples really help out here. I know that uh, for the most part, when you look at these conflicts of interest disclosure forms, uh, there's usually a definition, but there's not often examples. Uh, so what is a conflict of interest? What are some examples of the conflicts of interest you're most concerned about? Uh, make those examples uh, speak to your population, so they should be the sort of conflicts that you would expect would come up in your organization. Um, uh, that is the more appropriate way to handle it anyway. Uh, to, to try to, you know, tee up what it is exactly you're asking for. Another reason why I think it's important to spend some time on this and, say, and, and really describe exactly what you're looking for and exactly what uh, potentially could constitute a conflict of interest, interest is because there's a lot of confusion around certain issues. And you can, uh, you know, spend a little bit of time. It may create a longer questionnaire. It may create a a little bit more um, uh, uh, dialogue that you need to put into these disclosure forms or disclosure tools. Um, and it's going to cause you to have to be a little bit creative about making sure that you get all the coverage you need without uh, making it too terribly long. Uh, but you need to anticipate um, issues that uh, are going to come up or issues that have come up in the past and make sure that you do your best to explain around those. perfect example is... Um, uh, disclosure of, of uh, stock ownership and the difference between that and uh, being a party or being an own, uh, owner, owning an interest in a mutual fund. Um, oftentimes, if there's no explanation about you know the small percentage in a mutual fund uh, ownership being okay, people will get confused and say, "Well, you know, I don't know, but I think perhaps my 401k there there are you know there's some investment in competitors' um, shares." Uh, things like that, that, you know, if they've come up in the past or it's something that is described and there's some examples within your code of conduct or your conflicts policy or conflicts training, then it's going to need to be here too. Uh, don't anticipate and don't assume that the people who are reading this disclosure form have read the code, have read your policy, or remember reading your code or your policy, or remember um, taking the training, uh, even if it was just you know, even, if, even if this disclosure is part of the certification right after they've completed the training, don't assume that. Uh, I know a lot of organizations will have a, a hyperlinks uh, in these forms out 
to conflicts policies, conflicts, data sheets, things like that. I think that's a, that's helpful. But again, I think on the questionnaire itself, on the instrument itself, it needs to have some explanation. If you don't, um, it's you, you're going to get a lot of people who are confused. Uh, so a third area that you want to cover uh, in in provide detail around is what happens next. What what is the result of any disclosure? You need to have a, a short paragraph that explains the process, explains what you're trying to do, uh, explains that there will be a review, and then we'll consult. Uh, if there's an actual conflict, we're going to try to figure out a way to reasonably resolve that conflict. If there's, it's not an actual conflict, but we'll, you know, we want, we still want to know about it. You talk a little bit about the process, about what you're going to do with this information, about what happens next. That's really important so that they have some understanding about the process and expectation about what you're going to do with the information should they disclose it. And then the last thing that I would say about um, a good disclosure, conflicts of interest disclosure, uh, categories of questions that you want to ask, and uh, I'm not going to give you specific questions because every organization is slightly different. Your mileage may vary, but I think there are some categories that most all organizations are going to want to ask about. The first category is uh, familial or friend friendly relationships or or romantic relationships uh, with competitors, customers, clients. Uh, closely related third parties to the organization. You want to know if uh, an employee, a director, or, or, or officer of the organization has a close personal relationship, however that's defined, family member, uh, romantic relationship. Uh, organizations define these things differently, and there's no you know, right, way or, right way or wrong way to do this. But however you define those relationships that you want to have disclosure on, um, that is one bucket of questioning that I would s suspect would be in almost any conflicts of uh, interest disclosure uh, questionnaire. Um, I think that you want to, on both this category and some of the other categories, do your best to give them some multiple choice answers and not leave every question open-ended. Uh, this is particularly true if you are going to, you have a tool and you're doing this on a massive scale with thousands of employees. Uh, it doesn't help you too much if uh, you have a tool, but then all the questions are open-ended because then you still have, there's still, still a lot of parsing that needs to go on after the fact to, to glean any valuable information. So it, it, the, 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 the real benefit of having a tool, if you have, uh, you know, many thousands of potential disclosure forms out there or con disclosure questionnaires out there um, is, is uh, keeping as many of the questions uh, not open-ended as possible. Uh, so, for instance, in this one where you're talking about uh, that, cl that uh, close relationship, uh, you know, then you go through and define all those category categories that they potentially the close relationship could be with, a competitor, um, a, uh, uh, you know, maybe even parse the different types of competitors it could possibly be, uh, a, uh, uh, a customer, a client, uh, a third party, a, a, a supplier, you know, joint venture partner, whatever, what, you know, you know the categories better than anybody. Figure out what those categories are. I would try my best not to leave those questions open-ended on that bucket.
um, a kind of subset of this relationship question is, uh, does the employee officer or director have a relationship with anybody who is a direct supplier or, or subcontractor or has a strong third party relationship with the, um, with the organization and again you could break that up into subcategories of of where where that third party might be um that's important too, to to maybe have a sec you know have a general question about having any kind of relationship with any anybody that has a business relationship or or competitor with the organization and then a more more narrow a narrower question just around suppliers or or contractors or um uh uh, that that subset of of uh, of third parties. Another subset of relationships is uh, regulators. Um, uh, this is a question that I often see uh, in a conflict disclosure, particularly with organizations that are in a highly regulated space. Um, if you or a family member have a close personal relationship with uh, a, an individual who is, has oversight over your, over the operations of your organization, that could potentially be an issue down the road. Um, so that's something that the organization wants to know about. And, uh, I just said, you don't want to have too many open-ended questions, but I do know some organizations might have an open-ended question here saying, is there any other kind of relationship that we haven't described here, uh, that you think potentially could lead to, uh, a perceived conflict of interest or an actual conflict of interest, then please describe it here. Uh, I think that's a worthwhile uh, question to think about. I, I, again, would shy away from open-ended questions as much as possible. If you think you've got coverage otherwise, you don't probably don't need it. But, you know, that is something to think about. Another bucket of questions are around employment, employment opportunities, uh, business opportunities, uh, where the individual either has a second job or is taking work uh, all, all alongside their responsibilities for the organization. Um, uh, that is obviously an important thing to know about, um, uh, whether they are giving their you know, best services, honest services to the organization, if they have divided loyalties or, or using company time to do their own work. And then this other question there is, uh, particularly in taking um, taking a particular taking particular jobs that might actually be opportunities for the organization. So that bucket of questions is very common as well. Um, a second family member relationship, uh, close friend relationship question you often see is: Is there a family member or or somebody who I have a close relationship with that works for the organization? Uh, and that I supervise or that I, I, I hire or, or otherwise um, have some uh, supervision, supervisory authority over. That's obviously uh, an important question to ask as well. Um, the third bucket, which is not as often seen, but I think is something to consider, are uh, questions around investments uh, and not just the stock question, but whether uh, you have business opportunities, ownership, um, uh, or, or uh, 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 consulting activities. Uh, that may or may not come out in the uh, second job, other opportunities bucket of questions, but, but investment generally. 
um, because you could, you know, an employee or, or certainly an officer or a director could be a passive um, investor in an organization that uh, potentially could present a conflict to the, to the company. So that it would be the third bucket that I would think about. But those are all things to, to, to contemplate when you're uh, considering your disclosure uh, for conflicts of interest. Um, you know, you, I, I encourage clients to really think expansively about this. I think this is an important area where you can kind of uh, head off issues at the pass if you can get people to disclose before they become uh, a real conflict or a real issue that, uh, involve, that involves uh, misconduct. So uh, take a close look at what you have in place um, or think about what you want to have in place. And I hope uh, some of this, um, some of these ideas will be helpful to you. Once again, next Thursday, April the 4th, 2019, from 1 p.m. to 2.15 p.m. Eastern Time webinar on updating your code of conduct best practices. Information on how to register will be in the show notes at compliancebeat.com for this podcast. You can also go to clearlawinstitute.com and search my name, Eric Moorhead, or updating your code of conduct best practices and find that registration page. Um, it has uh, been um, already been approved for CLE credits, and I believe uh, CCEE, yeah, C, the CCB, CCEP credits. So if you need to get one or both of those credits, it's a good way to get an hour and some change in. So, uh, and it's actually um, uh, credited for 1.5 hours of CCB, CCEP credits. So uh, if you just need that extra hour, hour and a half uh, to, to uh, get your ticket punched for another few years, uh, please join us next Thursday. Um, and certainly join us if you have questions about updating your code of conduct. Till next time. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.